you would in your Bibles in Luke 16. Luke 16, and then at the end of the message, we're going to find our way uh, to Hebrews chapter 10 as well. If you want to go ahead and put a bookmark over there. How many of you like coffee? How many of you love coffee? Uh, about, about four years ago, uh, Pastor Eric came to serve as an intern here, and I thought that I loved coffee uh, before that point. When Pastor Eric came, he introduced me to a whole new world of coffee. Um, I'd been doing it wrong all my life, apparently, and, and he introduced me to single origin, um, beans, grinding them yourself, and then doing what's called a pour-over. A pour-over is you just make one single cup of coffee, um, and it's like the most pure way that you can make your coffee. And so I've been doing pour-overs ever since. And I found that there was this coffee shop in Evansville called Proper Coffee, and they sold single-origin beans. And they also did some of the best pour-over coffee that you could get in the area. And so regularly I'd go to Proper Coffee, and I'd have them make me a pour-over of one of their single-origin coffees. But this past, uh, about two months ago, I went, and proper coffee is no longer proper coffee, but they are parlor donuts. And I went, and I asked for them to do a pour-over, and they said, we don't do that anymore. It takes too long, and we've got all of these donuts to sell. And I was like crushed. It was, it was like the, the, the group of people, the people who like, they were all about coffee and, it, and brewing it as purely as possible. They said, we don't have time to do that anymore. The reason was, is because while I was standing there, there were probably about 12 people that came through and bought several of these huge parlor donuts that they're selling nowadays. And before, when it had just been proper coffee, I don't know that I'd ever seen 12 people in the store at one time. And so now that they're selling donuts, there's a greater clientele in the Evansville area for their product. And while I was pretty disappointed that they were no longer doing pour-over coffee, I kind of got it. I understood. Because they're making a lot more money, serving a lot more people, focusing on donuts. Now, if you had asked me a couple of years ago about proper coffee, I would have said they're so committed to good coffee. But after that experience, I realized that they're pretty passionate about coffee, but they're also pretty passionate about building a big business. And, I mean, that's why most people go into business, is to make money. They might have made corporate visions and values, but when it comes down to it, they're in the business to make money. And the same thing is true about the people who make the device that probably just about every one of us has in our pocket. The people who make these devices and they make the software and the apps that go on these devices, they're in business to make money. And these organizations, they might have cultural values and they might have corporate vision statements that are all about making the world a better place. But at the end of the day... They'd like to make the world a better place if they can do that after they make their money. Because the main reason they're in business is to make money. 
I'm thinking about my experience with proper coffee and the things that we see at work in the corporations of our world, specifically those who make apps for our phones. I was reminded of this strange story that Jesus tells in Luke 16. This is one of Jesus' many parables. But R.C. Sproul says that this is probably the most difficult of Jesus' parables to understand. So let's look at Luke 16 and verse 1. And he also said to his disciples, Jesus is speaking to his close followers. There was a certain rich man who had a steward. A steward is a, a manager. Someone who manages your property, your money. For most of us, that's us. We manage our own money. We don't have enough of it that we need to hire someone else to manage it for us. But this rich man had so much property and money that he needed to hire someone to handle all of it for him. And so this steward had an accusation was brought to him that the man was wasting his goods. How do you feel when someone wastes your goods? Dads, how do you feel when someone leaves the lights on? Or leaves the fridge door open? There's going to be an inquisition. You're going to figure out what's going on. Verse 2, so he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Now he makes a mistake here in that he fires the guy before he gets the audit. Verse 3, then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors and said to, to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Now, something that's important to note here is that in the old Jewish law, their system, you weren't allowed to charge someone interest or usury. And so what they would do, instead of charging interest, when they would give you 50 measures of oil, they would charge you for 100 measures of oil. It's just kind of a way to skirt around the law. And so it's possible that this steward, when he tells one to cross out 100 measures of oil and write down 50, that what he's doing is he's encouraging him to only pay what he should pay. The next person who comes, he says, how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said him, take your bill and write 80. Apparently, there had only been a 20% markup on wheat. And then verse 8 is rather surprising. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly or he had dealt wisely. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Jesus tells the story about a man who is in charge of his master's finances. And when he finds himself about to be thrown out because he doesn't want to have to dig ditches for a living or he's too prideful to beg, he figures out a system where the people who owe his master money will like him and take care of him. And Jesus says, the master tells this man, what you have done is very shrewd or wise. Now, I doubt that the master was really keen on this idea. He didn't like that he had done unjustly, but he had to give props to his steward to say, what you did was pretty smart. He's having that experience like I had at Proper Coffee, now Parlor Donuts, when I said, man, I can't believe you're not going to do what you've always done, but I can see why you're doing it this way. I can see why you're taking 
this approach. Today I'm going to talk to you about the culture that we find ourselves in and the way that many corporations and companies are taking advantage of us. And I want you to see that they've been pretty shrewd. They've been pretty wise. They're clearly making a lot of money. When Facebook launched several years back, they intended to connect the world. They talked a lot about the virtue of connecting groups, people who needed community. They were going to fight against the, the epidemic of loneliness in our world. But just this past week, Facebook held an all-hands meeting, and all of the employees gave Mark Zuckerberg a very hard time, the owner a very hard time, because Facebook has become a source of misinformation. And it's actually been a tool in some very dangerous groups who've organized for the purpose of violence. And danger. When Google formed, they actually put don't be evil in their corporate charter. But there have been multiple moments where people have taken the tools, the products of Google, and have used them to do evil things. Now, these forms of technology are great. Right now, this service is being live streamed to people who can't join us in person on Facebook and YouTube. Google's company. And it's made it possible for us to be connected in this time of separation. Just this past week, I visited with Jean Helms at uh, the nursing home. And Brenda Delaney had given her a tablet. And she's able to watch our services on YouTube on that tablet. But she was telling me that after she watched our service this past week, it then showed her a video of some church choir. We don't have a church choir. It wasn't our church. But YouTube has built into their system an algorithm that figures out the things that you watch and then offers you more of the same. And for Jean Helms, who's basically used this service to watch our church services, they've seen she is interested in church services. Let's serve her more of that. And that's a good thing. Serve you more good things, right? Now, the reason that YouTube is doing that is not because they are so desperately, there's not people in California that are saying, let's figure out how we can make sure that Gene Helms sees more choir videos. Rather, it's someone who's saying, the longer we keep someone on our service, the more money we make off of them. There's no one at YouTube that's deciding which videos to show. Rather, they have built into their computer programming People find these things interesting, they'll probably find this interesting, show them that. They found that interesting, show them that. Now, YouTube doesn't know what to do with me. Because my activity is uploading a lot of church videos, and then my son watching Minecraft videos on how to build things in his video game. So this past week, when I uploaded last week's sermon and songs, YouTube... At that very moment, gave me a notification of a video to watch. And the video that it recommended I watch was an hour and a half long video about how 5G is causing cancer and mind control. That video had been up for five days and it had 50,000 views. Now, I don't think that anybody at YouTube was saying lots of people need to see this. But they have built into their programming a system that will constantly show things that other people have found interesting, hoping that you will find them interesting, and it's become a source of misinformation. And right now, these companies are doing damage 
to our society, to the way that we talk to one another, to the way that we think. They're doing damage to the way that we see things politically, doing damage to the things that we believe in. And they have incredibly powerful tools at their disposal. They've developed algorithms which are put to work by artificial intelligence, in other, other words, computer systems that run tests. So something that is a frequent practice at Facebook is they put everyone on Facebook into 10,000 user groups, 10,000 person groups. And they make a change and they only show it to this, these 10,000 people. So it might be that when you get on Facebook this afternoon, Facebook might have put one slight variation or difference. It might be the size of the text. It might be the color of a certain button. They're going to make a slight difference because you're in that group of 10,000. And then they're going to measure, did you spend more time on the service today than you did before that feature was put on? And with millions and millions of users, they can run those experiments constantly and make changes to the smallest of details to try to figure out what is the best way to keep people on these services for hours. So if you ever had that moment where you pulled out your phone because you had a text message, or you needed to make a phone call, or you needed to do something that was really important, and then you said, oh, I've got a Facebook notification, and you looked at that notification, and then 45 minutes later you go, what just happened? You find yourself wrapped up in the feed because they have done everything that they possibly can to make it as appealing and as addictive as possible. You know why Parlor Donuts is selling so many donuts? Because they're amazing. Because they taste so good. They wouldn't be selling lots of them if they weren't any good. But because they're so good, people are coming and buying boxes and boxes of them. And the reason that Facebook, YouTube, and these other apps have become so popular is that they're very good at what they do. And the more time we spend on their services, the more money they make. This, this number is astounding, so I went and I double-checked it to make sure. During lockdown of quarantine, so from about March 15th to just before Memorial Day, Mark Zuckerberg, the owner of Facebook, his net worth increased by 25 Billion dollars. Billion with a B. Why? Because we spent more and more time on our phones and on our computers, on social media. A few of our guys are currently uh, gathering and they're making their way through a curriculum that's written by John Mark Comer. And just this past week or a week before last, they listened to one of John Mark Comer's talks. And all of them, at different points in time, came and mentioned to me a specific quote that John Mark Comer said. He said, what we need to realize is that on social media, we are not the customer. We are the product. Your attention, your focus, you looking at a phone is being sold to corporations that will pay to advertise. That's the reason that Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube are free. And they make millions and billions of dollars because they're selling our attention. They're selling us to these services. In his book, The Abolition of Man, C.S. Lewis said that whenever man gains power over nature, he will then use that power over other men. In other words, when someone gains power over technology or makes something, he will use that to have power over another person, to gain money from them, to force them to do something. 
In the Abolition of Man, Lewis talks about the fact that, that current works of power were making people men without chests. And the meaning of that was that they were hollow. They had nothing that they believed in, that they held to be deeply true. Around this same time period, T.S. Eliot wrote a poem that was entitled, The Hollow Men. And that poem ended with the lines, This is the way the world, the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. And those works were written decades ago. You see, this idea that technology, culture, and powerful people attempt to force us into the things that they want us to buy, the things that they want us to think, this is nothing new. In fact, it's as old as the garden. Because Satan came to Eve and he told her that the tree was beautiful and good to eat. And that if she ate of it, she would be more powerful. Satan didn't do that because he wanted Eve to eat of the tree. Satan did that because he wanted Eve to disobey God. To believe he was a liar and rebel against Today, the lie is constantly the same. If you buy this product, if you vote for this candidate, if you are involved in this activity, you will have what you want, you'll be more powerful, you'll look better. It's the same lie. But today, we're getting better and better and better at it. And we are creating these incredibly powerful currents that if we just allow ourselves to be swept up in them, who knows where we'll be carried. A few hundred years ago, there were a group of missionaries that when they felt called to go to the mission field, but they didn't know where to go, they viewed it as a major sign of trust to take all of their belongings that they would need for the journey and put them in a boat without oars, without sail. They would get into the boat and launch it out into the water and allow the current to take them wherever the current took them. Now, I think that that was less trust and more foolishness. I think that allowing the current to take us wherever it will take us will lead us to some pretty dangerous places. We need a healthy skepticism. We don't need a skepticism that refuses to believe in anything, but rather we need a skepticism that comes from believing the truth. We need a skepticism that comes from regular contact with the truth. We must be the opposite of hollow men or men without chest. We must be people of substance. We must be people of great belief. We must be people of truth. And if we are people of truth, all of the technology and, and cultural moments will not be able to sweep us up because we are men and women of substance who were grounded in the truth. When I, was a, when I was a teenager and I attended youth group at our church, it seemed like my youth pastor used this sermon illustration at least once a month. But he would tell us, you know the way that they help bank tellers to spot counterfeit money? They don't bring in a lot of different counterfeits and let them see what the counterfeits look like. They let them hold and feel the real thing. And when they're familiar with the real thing, the counterfeit will be obvious. 
The reason that we get swept up with all of these things, the reason that we have our opinions, our minds, our beliefs swayed is because we don't have a close connection with the real thing. We are hollow men and women. We are easily swept up. So how do we come acquainted, intimate with the truth? In Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah is writing to the people who have become exiles. They've been captured and taken to Babylon. And Jeremiah is telling them that God is going to rebuild the people. And that though they have been carried away from the temple, they've been carried away from their teachers, they've been carried away from their preachers, God is going to write his word upon their hearts and in their minds. He is going to deposit his truth within them. And as I was studying that passage this past week, I was reminded that that occurs elsewhere in Scripture. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 with me. Because in the book of Hebrews, we have this exact passage of Scripture quoted back again. But it's in the context of the person of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12 says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected those who are being sanctified. By Christ offering himself as a sacrifice, we have been made righteous. Verse 15, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before in Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. How do we keep from being people who are tossed by the currents of this culture? How do we pursue the truth and things of substance? We make Jesus our destination. We choose to follow him. We don't strike out into the waters not caring where we go or not thinking about who is carrying us along. Rather, we fix our eyes, our hearts, our minds on Jesus and push towards him no matter what the currents may do. But most of us live our lives just kind of going with the flow. Just kind of taking each day as it comes. And I can recognize the appeal of that because swimming against the current is rough. But just going with the flow leads us into very dangerous waters. I'm afraid that many of us approach the Christian life like Alice and Alice in Wonderland. There's a moment where she yells out to the Cheshire cat, Would you tell me which way I ought to go? And the cat responds, That depends where you're trying to get to. And Alice said, I don't much care where. And the cat responded, Then it doesn't matter which way you go. 
If we have no destination in mind, if we have no place that we are trying to get to, it doesn't matter which way we go. It doesn't matter which habits and practices we have in our lives. But if we want to draw near to Jesus, if we want to become like him, if our souls, our hearts desire Christ and we're seeking after him, we must develop holy patterns and holy habits that will take us to Jesus, that will allow us to swim against the current, to row against the wind. If we want to be like Jesus, it matters where we go, and it matters what we do, and it matters how we start our days. Dallas Willard said, if we would just do what Jesus did, and taking time each morning to spend with the Father, there would be much fewer issues. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor and professor in Germany during the rise of the Third Reich. He not only faced this great opposition politically, this evil in the power of the German office, but he also faced a compromised church. The church had become so complicit in the ways of the age that Bonhoeffer started a new church called the Confessing Church, and when he wanted to have a seminary to train pastors, they had to go out into the farmlands in secret. But what Bonhoeffer trained his students, those future pastors of the Confessing Church, was to each day find God's word for them that day. To each day find God's word for them that day. If we start every day just taking whatever it is that this culture is throwing at us, that is what our days will be filled with. That is what our minds and our hearts will be filled with. But if we win the day by starting each day with God's word, we will fill our hearts and minds with his truth. And we will be people of a deep, substantive life. You know, this is not the first time that we've had church in the gym. And I don't just mean like we've been in here for 12 weeks since quarantine. About five or six years ago, on a Saturday morning, the basement of the church building began to flood. Down the line of the sewer here on Fifth Street, the line had become obstructed. And when it rained, and when people flushed wastewater, it had nowhere to go but to the lowest point. And our basement was the lowest point. So we didn't have church in the church that day. We had it in the gym. We had to do an incredible amount of work to completely remodel the basement. And when that happened, what we said was, man, we really wish we had a backflow prevention valve. A valve in the system that allows water to go out but does not allow it to come back in. Because we didn't want all of that waste in our basement. And what you and I desperately need is we need a system in place that keeps all of the waste of this world filling our hearts and our minds. We are going to be connected to this world. We're going to be connected to people who do not follow Jesus. We're going to be connected to media that is not God-honoring. But if we have filled our hearts and minds with the truth, we will have something to keep out the waste of this world. Let's look back at that story that Jesus told in Luke 16. 
Jesus said that the children of this world are often more wise than the children of light. And what Jesus was saying is that people will often put an incredible amount of ingenuity and, and strategic planning and how they are going to live out this life. How they are going to preserve themselves. How they're going to have enough money to eat. How they're going to have... And he said this steward, he showed ingenuity in preserving himself for the rest of his life. But what Jesus was telling us is that how much more should the people of God... Put effort and strategy and training and intentionality into preparing and preserving our hearts and minds. Not just for the rest of this life, but for eternity. How much more should we be wise about our inner lives than this world is wise about its material goods? There are people in boardrooms, there are people working on code right now to show you more ads and to distract you more. There's a whole host of people, they're trying to figure out a product, the next product that all of us just absolutely have to have. There are plenty of people who right now are trying to figure out how to make their next dollar. And sadly, in our world, the men and women of this world often put more strategy and thinking into how they will make it to the next day than we do in putting our minds and hearts to use and how we will make it into the next life. How we will preserve this gospel message that we proclaim and pass it to the next generation. We need a system to keep this world's waste from filling our hearts and minds. And I believe that if we will win the day, if we will start every day with God's word, we'll be on our way.